Welcome back once again to season four of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking. It's called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season and last season has been focused on interviewing people who did or planned to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame the past. And as much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. This is what keeps the show on the air. You can also show your support by purchasing one of my many books or donating through PayPal or leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. You can find the links for the books or donation options in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. Welcome back to the podcast. I am super excited for having my guest on today. This incredible young lady reached out to me after uh, some kind of unusual circumstances led her over in my direction and she's just incredible. I've really enjoyed having a conversation with Mindy behind the scenes, but welcome to the show, Mindy Taylor. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here today. So where are you originally from? You you already know that's always my first question, so I can't stray from that one, but I'm going to stray. <laughs> I am originally born and raised until a uh, young teenager, Vancouver, Washington. And then I went to Kalamazoo, Michigan. Wow. And then I that's... came back to Vancouver, Washington. Well, then I came back to Washington, so. Okay. And Washington is absolutely beautiful. When I was a flight attendant, I spent quite a few hours up in that area. It's great. <sighs> It's great. It's my favorite place. Yeah. And everybody associates Washington with just the city of Seattle. And it's so varied in the state of Washington. Seattle is so rainy. Vancouver is so green and bright and lush and beautiful. And you know, you can go a little bit more inland and get more desert region. I mean, just Washington itself is just cool. It is cool. Yes. I'm two and a half hours, not even quite that far from the beach. And I'm an hour and 45 minutes from snowboarding. And there's lakes and rivers and everything. But then you go four hours over and you're in the desert in Washington. It's just wild to me how much the state has to offer. Wow. That is cool. So how did you find my podcast? (laughs) I love this story. Okay. I'm in law school through Seattle University School of Law. And one of the assignments was on writing a report on trafficking, human trafficking, human smuggling, sex trafficking, all of it. And I chose sex trafficking. And on the list of, I think there was 10 or 11 podcasts, your podcast was on there. And I chose yours. And I just listened to you do an interview. It was, I don't even remember now what episode it was, but there was one that was just, you were doing an interview on with somebody. And it just caught me. And immediately, I didn't even finish the podcast before I sent you an email. <laughs> I just had this feeling that said, you have to do this right now. And I'm an impulsive person anyway. So I was like, I'm doing this right now. If I don't do it right now, I won't do it at all. So I sent <laughs> the email and then it was just immediately, um, I said, okay, it's out of my hands. But Seattle University School of Law, thank you for getting me in contact with Amanda. <laughs> that is really cool. And I love that they were... Um, looking for podcasts on this specific material and that's cool that's cool do you know why they wanted you to listen to these podcasts 
Yes. So the assignment was to write law. So each module, it's online. So each module had a different theme of it. And then at the end of it, we put together this very large 20 plus page paper on basically writing international compliance rules. Well, to have international compliance rules, you have to have very good rules to prevent trafficking in all the areas of trafficking. So we, um, we listened to podcasts and we had to write a post about the podcast that we listened to, which I wrote about your podcast. And so that was my assignment. And then I used it also in the, in my final paper, which was all about how to prevent trafficking in all international compliance, basically all international businesses. There's one of the ones that I found out was they actually find people, Americans from Craigslist and stuff, and then ship and then take their passports and take their stuff. And then that's it. And then no more. And it's for jobs of real companies. So it looks so legit, but it's just not. So how do we stop that in the compliance world for law is the, was the whole point of that assignment. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. You guys are finding ways to change the world. Yeah, I hope so. I can't, I couldn't even believe the amount of people that are trafficked right now. I had it was as big of a thing as it really is. I just had no clue how large scaled this is. Yeah. 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 When I was doing a talk on uh, this past Sunday down in Arizona, I, I looked around the room and I recognized how many people there were in the room and the statistic just popped into my head. When I introduced myself as a survivor of human trafficking, I looked out in the audience, I said, Something tells me I'm not alone, too. Afterward, I had a woman come up to me. The last person in the world I would have (laughs) expected came up to me to tell me that until she heard me define what human trafficking is and actually looks like and described it, she didn't realize that what she had been through when she was a child was human trafficking. Yeah. Oh, you cut out real bad. It's not... You're kidnapped and thrown and handcuffed and sold to people. It doesn't, I mean, it does look like that, but it doesn't look like that for everybody. Right. So identifying it and hearing your story of how you identified it and how you realized what was happening to you was incredible because you could see it and realize that this is not your fault and you were in survival mode. Right. I love it. I love it that you're reaching out (laughs) to people. Thank you. It, it was um, it was a God whisper, I gotta say. Yes. I never I would have done moment. this on my own. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. I, I have a, a belief in, uh, I have my own relationship with God and the universe and how it's all tied together. And I am like, there's no way I would have survived that if there was not some higher power that was like, I'm going to pluck you out of the situation and just move you right here. And so I just know those moments where you can hear it. And it's like, this is a voice in my head telling me something I need to, I need to listen. Right. Right. And speaking of, you've been through your own crazy journey. I know you're starting up your own podcast. Have you named it yet? Yes. It's called what's next with Mindy. Nice. And what's it about? It's about your journey. It is about my journey. So my journey started when I was little. I was sexually abused, which I've never actually said out loud before. So this is my first time for all of Amanda's fans. Um, It's hard to do. So I'm doing okay, though, right now. Um, I was sexually abused by my neighbor 
and they made my he made my brother watch it which Mm. has set him up for his own trauma so he has his own journey that he has to do from that but since then he has a lot of memory issues I noticed like do you remember any of this and he like years he's lost of memory and I just I pray for him um but it was it was really hard and I know that that person still lives in Vancouver and I'm in Vancouver. Thank God I've never run into him. I wouldn't even know what to do. Um, and I, I defended him a lot, a lot of like, well, he was a teenager. He didn't know better. He was only 16 or 17 or 18. He just, he wouldn't know. And I did that to myself for years before I realized I was five and it just Mm. wasn't okay, no matter what. And whatever he went through to get him there, I hope he heals from it, but this is about me. So that's where my first trauma started. And then my parents got divorced when I was about six. And I guess that's probably five or six is when my mom started hiring this neighbor to come and babysit me and my brother, which is when it happened. And so my dad was gone and my mom was around. And then she had to get a job because she stayed home. She was raised to be a housewife. She stayed home. And then we moved in with my grandparents because we couldn't afford to live on our own. And that was the best. They were amazing. Until I was about early 10th grade and my grandparents sold their house and my mom moved out and she was a very hardcore alcoholic. So I ended up moving to Kalamazoo, Michigan with my dad and I didn't do well there at first. So I came back to Vancouver and it was neither one of my parents really wanted me. So they kind of were just like at 16, I was 16 by then. Very much just go do your own thing. We don't care where you are. They just didn't Mm. care. So I worked at, I lied to Albertsons in Renton, Washington. I said, I work, I said, I'm 18 and I think I was 16 or 17. And I just said that I did. They took my ID and everything, gave me a seven to four Monday through Friday, full-time job. And I just worked there and I met this woman that seemed very nice. She had an eye patch. She was short, older black woman, heavy set cane they'd have me help her shop through the store. So I'd always help her shop. I became close with her. I brought her stuff to the house. And now I'm 17 years old. I have no friends. I have no parents that even know where I'm at. And I had lost my job at Albertsons because I was a teenager, just running amok and had was living in my car. And she said, you can live with me. I was like, okay, this is great. And that's when everything changed. That was the turning point. That's when it was, well, you're just so cute and so fun and you have to pitch in to be here. So you Mm. could just be an escort. And I was, what is an escort? And I'm like a fluffy haired, blonde, very innocent like person still. I mean, I've gone through trauma, but I'm still pretty reserved and shy and don't really know. I'm just trying to survive without my parents. So I said, okay. And I went and hung out with some guy and I left with like $150 of change. I was like, well, that's fine. She goes, you're just so fun. You can just hang out with guys and they'll just give you money just to hang out because they're lonely. So one thing led to another. And then by, you know, I turn 18 and now she's having, I don't have control of my car anymore. I don't have control of anything. I'm told when I can leave, when I can't. Um, I'm chubby. So I start doing meth, which was really, really terrible. And I didn't Mm. want to do it. 
but I didn't really have a choice. You know, it was, you have to do this, you're staying here, or you'll just be out there. And out there for me at 17 was really scary. In there was scary too, but out there was, at least I have a house, at least I have a place to stay, at least I have a shower. And it, it's fine. I've been chubby my whole life. I've hated it. I've been made fun of it. I can lose some weight. Okay. And I only did meth as long as I was trafficked. After that, I never, ever touched any drugs again. Thank God. Wow. But I did get really skinny and it was very unhealthy. And I don't remember a lot, but I do remember multiple men. And I remember multiple transactions and I remember getting paid for some of like sometimes I would actually get some money um, but I couldn't just leave and then one day I did and I got my keys and I crept out and I left and I never went back to that that area again and that was years ago wow yeah and you left her behind do, do you feel like they ever came looking for you no no I don't wow. she didn't have a car she didn't have anything like that. I had the car. I had everything. Um, but she had people. And so it's just such an unlikely person, you know, that you would think that would do something like this. But she had people that were very scary to me. And so when I did leave, I left and I went back from Renton to Vancouver. And so in Van- Renton is right outside of Seattle. So in, I came back to Vancouver and I met up with some friends and then I was still homeless for a couple of years, about a year, um, went back to Michigan at right at almost 19, went back to Michigan, got my GED. Cause I said, once I got out, I was like, I'm still young enough. I can change my life. I can fix this. I got my GED, moved back to Vancouver, had my son who is now 19 and in college and wonderful And when that happened is when I decided that, um, when I got pregnant is when I said, okay, I have to get my life together. I have to make sure that I'm going to college. I have to do something with myself. And so that was the turning point of, I have to go to college. I have to get myself together. And it was still hard. We lived in an apartment in Seattle with cockroaches in it. And we were homeless again at one other point in our lives, but we've, we've made it. You fought back from all of that. That is incredible. Thank you. It wow. Yeah. I think that people see me and they're just like, oh, you're so fun and bubbly and great and it's lovely. And it's just like there's so many dark secrets in here that it's time to just embrace that this is what I've been through. And it's not your fault when you are in a situation like that. And I just want women to know that it's not your fault you're in these situations and you can get out even though it's the scariest thing and it's so hard right and it can be really dangerous sometimes so sometimes it's important to get and and find the help that you need to get out you were extremely fortunate to be able to have your own car so you could just take off yes Um, and you finally had that ability which is amazing yes Um, I couldn't have done it without my own car yeah yeah But there are resources out there for people too. Uh, One of the ones that I just recently learned about through an organization called Shamrock Way is they're partnering with the 988 people. Um, So a lot of people don't feel comfortable calling 911 because they don't want to have the cops involved. Because a lot of times when somebody is going through trafficking, they feel like they're being also victimized by the police. Yes. And that can be a really scary thing to go through. So 988 
is a mental health line where they don't necessarily get the police involved. Um, there are different groups in all these different cities that when you call 988, 988 will send out mental health professionals. Um, I actually got it written down in my notes here somewhere, but they'll send out these mental health professionals with like somebody with a degree in therapy and somebody with lived experience. So you get these two people that are coming to show up to help you to get through whatever it is that you're going through who aren't cops. I did not know that. That is a wonderful resource. Yeah. A lot of people haven't heard about this yet. And it's such a cool thing to do. Yes. I think something like that could really help other people in similar situations to what we have been through. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, having someone else come in and see it. If anyone else would have ever walked into that house, they would have known. And people in the, it was an apartment complex and people wow. knew what was going on in that house. Like they knew that I couldn't get out and just nobody seemed to care. That's messed up. It's so messed up. I how do you see it and know? And then they just would kind of look at me like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I remember thinking about it since I talked to you kind of reliving it a little bit and thinking about it and going, Oh, I remember that way that that guy across the street would look at me and he'd look at me so sad and I couldn't understand why. And I was like, you know, because they all knew who this person was. Yeah. Yeah. And And they knew what she was doing to you. And they knew. And then she would, well, you're 18 now. So now this is your choice. And I was like, but it's not my choice and I don't want to do it. And I want to just go back to Vancouver, even though I didn't have any family left in Vancouver. I was just, this was my home. I want to go back. And it was just, well, if you do, I'll make sure you go to jail because now you're a prostitute. But I'm not a prostitute. Well, I gave you money once. So you are. And so you'll just go to jail. Well, then, you know, 17, 18 year old girl, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go to jail. How do I get out? Well, if you leave, I'll just make sure, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the fear that people put in your head of if you do this, then this will happen. If you tell your mom, I'll kill your family. You know, the whole thing to not report abuse. And it's a cycle that just has to stop. Yes. Yep. absolutely. And so many people think, well, you didn't have a gun to your head. No, but I had the threat of having a gun to my head and having the threat of having a gun to my family's head. Guess which one I cared about more? I bet your family. Yeah. Yep. Yep, Yep. absolutely. And they know that and they play on that. Oh, yeah. And so many people automatically think that it's uh, the men who do the trafficking. Your story is unique because you're open to talking about how this was actually a woman who victimized you. Yes, it was. It was a woman who did it. And she, she preyed on me. She preyed on young women in general. There was another woman there and she had a baby and her husband. And she was so traumatized and so far gone on drugs that she just took in her, the husband and the baby and was like, I can make money off all of this. And I thought, no, you can't. So I remember I I had to tell someone, I was like, there's a baby here after I got out. I was like, there's a baby. And so I told a police officer, a social worker, someone, I don't remember who, but I remember saying, there's a baby in this house and you have to get this baby out because this baby should not be here. And that's the only time I saw a baby. And now that I'm talking about it, I remember that's how I got out. I got out of the house with my keys to my car because everyone was distracted by the baby. Wow. Wow. And why was there a baby in a meth house? 
<laughs> it's unfortunately quite common to not only be in a drug house, but to be in, uh, involved in human trafficking. The youngest victim rescued from trafficking in recent years here in Colorado was only three months old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The oldest was in her 70s. Oh, my gosh. So uh, it's, it's hard to predict who it is that the victims are going to be. And when somebody is that young, three months old, how were you able to spot the signs of trafficking? You really can't. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so much. So with everything that you'd been through, did you feel like this was starting to uh, affect the way that you talked to and associated with other people in your relationships? Oh, that's a great question. Yes. So I think I just, I got pregnant with my son so quick. You know, I just got out. I never talked about it. I went back, um, got my, like I said, got my GD on time, just like the same time I would have graduated. And then when I came back to Vancouver, I noticed that I am very aware of my surroundings all the time. I always look behind me. I never sit with my back anywhere. My back's always to the wall. And I'm really, really compassionate towards people. So whenever someone, a server is having a bad day, a cashier is having a bad day, I usually don't take it as you're upset with me or I did something wrong. I usually take it as, are you okay? What's going on? Is Do you need to vent something out? I can't imagine working with people all day long and, <laughs> and then having to like be nice to people who are not nice to you. Are you okay? And so I think it's really made me aware of other people's energy, other people's intentions. And I think I, I, it sounds, almost conceited but I have like this gift where I feel like I can just spot trauma in other people where I can see someone and be like you have some severe trauma let's talk about it yes yeah and that's that hyper vigilance um I'm working on putting together the growth from darkness book series as you are probably already aware because I think I've talked about it a couple of times um but in the book series, the book number two, I talk about the trauma reactions, what the long-term consequences are and how to fight back against them. One of those trauma reactions is hypervigilance. Just recently, I was talking with my co-host on my other uh, podcast about the levels of hypervigilance and how there can be this really unhealthy connection where people believe that this is... Um, uh, almost like a psychic ability to have empathy when really it's, it's very dangerous and very scary to, to understand that what you're actually feeling is this hypervigilance from your own trauma. And you are able to spot that trauma in somebody else, but you, because you recognize the, the Swiss cheese holes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That makes a lot of sense for me. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And then everyone opens up to me anywhere. Um, all my friends would always say, like, I can't take you anywhere without you getting into a deep conversation with someone. <laughs> I was like, because I listen to them and I know that they just need someone to hear them. But yeah, I, I always do. I always people will be like, you know, I was in an Uber once and the person was like, I just beat cancer and then just started sharing their story with me. And she's like, and you're the first one who I've told. I was like, well, thank you. That's great. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I get that a lot. A lot of people open up and share, but I genuinely want to hear their stories. And so I don't, I'm excited about it. And I noticed that with mine is I want to hear your stories and how you overcame it also. And I noticed that's one thing that I got from this is my ability to 
to say it doesn't matter where you came from and it doesn't matter who birthed you and it doesn't matter your blood family is you create your own family and you can push through that and so that's kind of what I'm trying to take away from it I think that's beautiful yeah and I really wanted to go to college I really wanted to I buy a house I really I had all these goals that I wanted to do and I've done them so being goal oriented for me has really helped me this is my next goal. This is my next goal. That's what has guided me through my life path. So why law school? <laughs> I was um, actually, after I was trafficked, I said, I'm going to be a lawyer. I want to be a lawyer. I want to help women. I'm just going to be a lawyer. And then I don't want to be a lawyer. So I decided I work with kids now um, in a regulator. I'm a social worker. So I do it in a regulator uh, standpoint of it. And I just kept thinking, during COVID, I went and got, um, I was working on a master's in something else from WSU for strategic communications, which is just nonsense, really. It's a great degree, but not for me. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to see if I can get into law school. My dad always said I'd never get any degree, and I have a couple now. So I was like, I'll just do law school. And I did. And I got in, and then I did the program, and it was, it's a master's. It's not a JD, so I won't be a lawyer anywhere. But anyway, but it's a master's in compliance. And I just said, well, I might as well do it because my work pays for so much a year. So I use every year. I just use that money and get it paid for just as something to do during COVID. That's how it started. <laughs> I was bored. He went to law school because you were bored. I was bored. And I remember my dad saying, you'll never be able to do anything. And I was like, well, I've already done all this. So why not add something else in there? And so, Yeah. I got wow. bored during COVID, and so I started law school, and I only have <laughs> one class left, but I'm going to wait until next year because I've used all my money for this year. I, I, I got bored during COVID and started a podcast. <laughs> this is incredibly ambitious. How cool. I, I just, I get really bored really quick and easily. I think it's just because I have such high ADHD, and then I just say, I'm going to do this, and then I do it. So I wanted to learn snowboarding. A couple years ago, I decided to go and I snowboard now every season, all the time. And I've always been the fat kid. I'm quoting with my fingers. You know, I was always made fun of. I was always chubby and everything. You can't do sports. You can't do this. Blah. And so everything anyone said I can't do now, I'm just doing. That and is cool. Yeah. I think I just took all the negativity and was like, watch this. <laughs> Now, are you making sure that you're doing these things because you want to or because you're trying to prove them wrong? You know, I had to think about that. I really had to think about that. And it is because I want to. I'd like to try things and see if I like them. Um, and if I don't like them, then I don't. So now I don't go off of what people say. You you can't do this. I just try it. And then I like to bring the information back and be like, look at what I did over the weekend. I went snowboarding or I went and did this or, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, school was definitely that was a law school was a jab at my dad but he's um I did tell him about it I talked to him occasionally and I told him about it and he said well that's really great I'm glad that you're doing it so he's he's much older now and calmed down a bit in his age but it was it was good it was good choice to do I just will probably never use the degree <laughs> it sounds like your dad grew up about about the same time you did yeah I think he did if he's, yeah. if he's even there, he's, he's, uh, he went through a lot of trauma. He never sorted through and was taught never to talk about. So I think that's what I'm getting out of a lot of this too, is 
a lot of people have been poorer, treated other people poorly, but it's it's their own thing. Right. Right. And and I hear all the time, um, hurt people hurt people, and I cannot disagree with that more. Yeah. I we agree all, that I disagree. We all get hurt at some point in our lives. We don't all use it as an excuse to hurt other people. It's yes. unhealed people who hurt yes. people. Yeah, and unhealed people are the people that don't do the work to heal themselves. So put in the work for yourself because you're worth it. Heal yourself and be better to other people. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> oh, and I found that passage in the book So, um, where it was writing about empathy. So people can develop a heightened sense of awareness to the moods of those around them. This can sometimes be mistaken for empathy and can be extremely unhealthy. Empathy is the ability to share and or understand the feelings of another person. Empathy is not the ability to predict them. Being able to sense danger or fearful situations is not empathy. It's a mental red flag. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Listen to your instincts. Yep, absolutely. We all get those red flags and we try to ignore them because we think we know better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I always think, you know, there's God's there watching me and he's telling me, or if I, if I'm about to say something and I get a pit in my stomach, mm-hmm. I stop saying it. The other day I did that. I was like, oh, and then I was like, immediately I said, you know, I don't feel like I'm supposed to share this. I'm not going to do it. And I just stopped myself. Yeah, I, I used to have a real big problem with over explaining everything. And in recent years, I stopped before I start talking about something. I was like, God, is this something I'm supposed to have a conversation about? No. Okay. I heard that loud and clear. Thank you yes. very much. Moving on then. Oh, I love it. <laughs> what helped you to heal from all of your own trauma? Um, I think it was, I was just so busy originally that that helped being distracted. That's not a healthy, that's not a healthy healing everybody. But this is what I did then is I was, you know, I just went from being trafficked to having a kid and living on my own again, but in a safe space, thank goodness. And I think, um, my healing journey was, was just pushing through at first. And now it's going to the gym. It's meditating. It is journaling I did a lot of journaling and then I would burn it in my fireplace because I'd always be afraid someone would find it and know my deep dark thoughts and that would be terrible and everyone would use it against me and so I always would write it and burn it but I noticed now writing it and rereading it later to see my growth has really helped me so I do that and then I think a therapist is just great for everybody yes you know I tell people all the time I've never met a therapist that didn't have a therapist yes I've never met a therapist that doesn't have a therapist either yeah. Yeah. It's important. You know, there's, there's this other thing that happens with exposure to somebody else's trauma where when you're talking about it all the time and you, or somebody's talking about it to you all the time, you're leaving yourself in a vulnerable position where your brain is trying to process this information and in its ability to process the human brain is remarkable. It will take these instances and these examples and these mental images that you're giving them And it will piece this together as though it's a memory of your own. Yes. And it's, while this is helpful for being able to understand what somebody else is going through, back to the empathy thing, Uh it's also extremely dangerous and unhealthy if that happens too often without somebody being able to get that out of their own system 
and have that kind of block that that wall so it doesn't become their life yes yes I loved that I always thought I was like I'm gonna be a therapist but I said I can't do it I'd take all of it home with me I just can't do it and so I love it therapists having therapists (laughs) yes yeah so did you, were you able to find safe places to go when you were uh, trying to heal and to go through all of your stuff? Um, yes, I did. I had uh, two very, very wonderful people in Seattle, um, Mike and Kathy, and they took me in when I was homeless in Seattle after I had my son, because we bounced all over. And they took me in and gave me a safe space for a couple of years. And it was, that was one of the best those were one of the best people. Those just amazing people. I also had two people that I'm sure have probably passed away by now, but I just want to say thank you to them. Their names were Hawk and Lyle and they lived in Bellevue. And when I got out of trafficking, I remember I made it to their house and I stayed the night there and they were just two older men, but they never ever did anything creepy or gross ever. They just met me, loved me and let me move in to their house. And I just, I have no idea how that even happened, but it was amazing until one of the girls found me there. And once they found out I was there, I had to get out and I just packed up in the night and left and went back down to Vancouver. But I knew they would have kept me safe if I would have stayed there. I would have been fine there. I just couldn't let them know everything that happened. If the people found me, I had too much shame still. So I just got out. Right, right. Because that's at the point where you're still dealing with a lot of self-blame. I put myself in that situation. Yeah. I yeah. could have just left and gone to Michigan with my dad and just endured that and finished high school. But I didn't. I came back here on a Greyhound bus. And then I came back to live with my mom in Renton. And then my mom moved to Port Townsend. And I'm there in Renton. And I'm working at Albertson. So I was like, well, now I'm homeless in Renton. So what do I do? And that's how she stepped in. Oh, well, let me help you out okay. And I was just so naive and trusted everybody. Everyone's intentions were good back then. And she knew it. And she knew it. She knew it. And now I still am. I trust people very much. Um, I don't make you earn trust for me to trust you. I, I just trust people and I trust what they say. And I hope for best intentions of people, but I'm always watching my back. Gosh, how do we do that? Cause I'm the same way. Yeah. I don't know after we've been through everything that we've been through, we still know how to trust people. Yeah, I still do. I still feel there's way more good than there's bad. There just has to be. Right. And people ask me all the time, how are you still able to trust somebody? How are you able to have this functioning, happy, healthy marriage? Mm-hmm. I, I, I did the work. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I healed myself the best that I can and continue to heal myself. And that is what we have to do. Right. I couldn't right. imagine walking through the world just trusting absolutely nobody forever. I think it would be a really hard place to live. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Dark, lonely, isolating. Yes. Yeah. So back on a happy light note, mm-hmm. who inspires you the most? Okay. So I was thinking about this over these last few weeks and I kept thinking, who does inspire me the most? And I have to say my kids, I kept thinking, you know, there's all these people along the way that have saved me. I call them my angels and they are my angels and they have saved me. And I'm so grateful for everyone. But if I didn't get pregnant with my son when I did, I don't think I would be here. I think that the trauma would have ate me up 
and I would have never healed. He forced me to heal. Being pregnant with him and having him forced me to heal. It forced me to, I had to heal because if I didn't, I couldn't raise him the way that he deserved to be raised. And I was a single mom. His dad, um, you know, 19, pregnant. His dad had just had a baby that I didn't know about. And he told me, and he just was very honest. So he said, I'm just not going to help you raise this kid. And I said, okay. And it was just this grace that came over me. Normally I would be a lot more mouthy. And so at that (laughs) age for this grace to come over me and me to say, okay, I'll raise him. No problem. Is still incredible that I was ever able to do that without losing my mind, but I did. And I didn't see him again and ever really. And um, he was, I saw him like here and there, maybe five times since I've given birth to my son, who's now 19. And he, uh, my son is, I'd say he's the reason because I didn't mind raising him alone. I loved it. And it was just me and him. And I had a person, don't ever get pregnant young just to have a person. That's a terrible idea. But I, it was, you know, obviously an accident, but then it was like, I had this little person that I had to heal for. And I think it was God's way of saying, you have this person and I'm gonna give you this person. So you have to force yourself to heal and you have to get your life on the path that I have given to you. And so I think that's what started the trajectory of my healing was my son. Before then, I was a little wild. Wow. Yeah. I, and it's, I can't even really see it as being wild as it is somebody that's trying their best to self-medicate. Yes. And I was clean. After, after right. I got trafficked, I got clean. So I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't smoking cigarettes. I smoked cigarettes then back then. See, I didn't do that anymore. I never have been a drinker. Thank goodness. I've never had to. I came from an alcoholic parent. I don't want to drink. So I've never been a drinker. Right. And so. But searching for that love is still a form of self-medication. Yes. Yes, it is. It is a form of self-medication. And you are like looking and searching for that. Someone, someone's got to love me. You know, when you have your parents tell your whole life that no one will ever love you and that you're just sensitive and inconvenience and, you know, I wish this and that and all these horrible things, you just don't feel very loved. And then I had this baby that just looked up to me for every single thing in the world. Yeah. And I was like, I have never loved something so much in my life. And my brother helped me with him when my son was younger, which was amazing. But he's definitely the reason that I changed everything in my life because I was, I worked three to midnight back then. So I'd get off work and then I'd go party, maybe smoke some weed or something, you know, do something not too hardcore, but I was still running around doing whatever. And then I'd get home at three in the morning, go to sleep and then go back to work. And so I was still working, but I was out just enjoying my life a little bit more. And once I got pregnant with him, I got two jobs and I just stayed focused and I didn't do anything except for work and save money. Wow. How much of this does your son know about? Um, he knows about most of it. He's very grateful because he knows we, we had an apartment. We have our own house now. I bought a house, um, about eight years ago, a little small house. That's cute. And he know he remembers us. He doesn't remember us homeless. We were only homeless for a couple days once in Seattle, but he does remember the cockroaches in the apartment that we had there. And he does remember being poor for some things. He does remember only having one car when I was married to my first husband, my daughter's dad, um, who adopted my son. So I'd like to thank him for that. Wow. Yeah. So he does like, he knows the journey and the struggle that we've gone through to get here, but he doesn't know everything that I've gone through before I got pregnant with him. Wow. Nobody does. Except for now. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to figure it out here pretty quick with you talking. 
they're about to figure it out. I think yeah. I should probably sit down and maybe have a conversation with them before I send them the link to this. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be a bad idea. I'll make sure I give you some time. Um, I always record in advance anyway. So oh, you've got a little time to be able to sit down and have this, this conversation. Cause this is not an easy one. Right. You know, I, I went through that when I met my husband and I went through that several times with other people that I tried to date in the past too. And they just couldn't hack it. Um, mm-hmm. My husband was incredible. My, I met him a month after my autobiography was published. And without my knowing it, he ordered a copy of my book and read it. Yeah. He said, if you are going to be this happy, positive, loving, wonderful person that I've met, and you've already been through all of this stuff, I need to know more. And then when he got done reading it, he said, I knew that I needed to marry you because I needed a lot more of that in my life. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I got pretty, I'm, I'm pretty blessed with this one. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. Good. Good. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And it's, it's cool to have that kind of support too. He told me, he says, who am I to hold you back? You have a mission you're on. Yes. Yes. Let me <laughs> aid to your mission. Not hold you back from it. <laughs> oh, I love that. So how do you celebrate your wins in life? Oh, I'm very animated. So I actually like full on high five myself sometimes if no one's around. <laughs> ah, I love I, it. I work from home now since COVID. So I don't get to see people all the time. So it's kind of me and my dogs doing our thing. Um, I celebrate the small things. I smell, celebrate the big things, obviously, but I celebrate the small things. I celebrate it when I can have a conversation with someone and not make it about my trauma, you know, and just be like, let me just hear your story and then throw in my things so they know that I can relate, but not take it over. I used to take over everyone's stuff uh, <laughs> years ago. I'm much better about that. So I think that's one of my big wins is being able to listen a lot better instead of listening to interrupt, you know? Yeah. So I think that um, that's one of my big things, but I celebrate with, um, yeah, with just random hot five and myself. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, even for little things, some days are hard, you know, some days are just hard days. And if it's a hard day and everything feels hard, then I take myself outside and I just sit and I ground myself. I put my feet in the grass and I just try to Today's a hard day and I can feel that it's a hard day, but I'm going to get through it. And then I just motivate myself through it. That's awesome. That motivation can be really difficult for some people to, to dig up when they're going through the hard days. Do you have any like special advice that you would tell anybody? Oh, I wish I did. Just do it. Just drag yourself to your car, get in and just drive to where you're supposed to go and just do it just when the you get there, thing. fine there's been times I haven't left the house in months where I was just like I just can't do this today just can't do it and it was before the healing it was before I really started healing myself as an adult that is a healthy adult and now I can say I can I can identify and say today is just too hard my daughter wanted to go to Ross yesterday and I just said I just don't want there it was like five o'clock and there's just traffic everywhere Vancouver's gotten so busy and I said I just can't do it today I just I don't have the mental power to chit chat and talk with everyone who I'm going to because that's how I am and I can't (laughs) do it we can do it tomorrow so I think I celebrate the things but I also bring it back in and be like I just can't do that today 
And that's so healthy. You have healthy boundaries. You know how to say, no, I don't have the bandwidth. Yeah, I just don't. And I just can't do it. And I'm very open with my kids about that. That's cool. And it takes some some learning and practice too. It's hard to say no the first time after you've been forced to not be able to do that for so long. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it has come to that point where I ask my favorite question of the episode. You already know it's coming. (laughs) But what is one thing you love about yourself that's not related to your physical appearance? Okay. So the first thing I was going to say is basically my only fear is my own potential. And then I said, that is so funny because it's just, that's my joke that I say to people whenever they're like, oh, what are you afraid of? I'm like, oh, I'm just only afraid of my own potential. But (laughs) then I said, I have to actually think about this seriously. And so I would say it is my, my favorite thing about myself is my bubbliness is I just can smile on, on anybody really and just smile and be happy around them and if someone's down I can try to cheer them up a little bit and just being present with people in a bubbly fun sort of way I mean I have that other side where I'm just very compassionate but I really love that bubbly fun side of me that I still have regardless of everything else and it's my favorite part about myself I love that side of you too (laughs) I'm a bubbly person I think it's amazing You know, it's hard enough to go through trauma, but coming out the other side, still being that happy person. I told you that's the reason my husband wanted to get married to me. Um, He's, he's known a number of people in his past that have gone through trauma and they're not happy and bubbly. They're still stuck in one of the trauma stages. Um, The trauma stages are basically the first one is denial. And then it goes into anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. It isn't until we get all the way through those stages of trauma and we're in the acceptance stage that we can really learn to be genuinely joyful and happy. You know, we can pretend all we want, no matter which stage we're in, but people can tell, they can look right through that. And you are genuinely, beautifully happy. Yes. I am. I'm very grateful. I think that that plays a role into it. It's every single thing I have, I'm grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're amazing. Thank I you. Am... I think you're amazing. <laughs> I am so, so glad that you reached out to me when Thank you did. I just, I don't know. I feel like there's this connection that you're just this awesome person that I want and need in my life. Yes, that's exactly how I feel about you. Once I read everything and then started listening, I was like, I have to know her. (laughs) Well, um, when my speaking tour starts getting launched up, I'm going to see if I can talk to them about kind of making a little bit more uh, northward on the West Coast. Yes, please do. Maybe we can make that happen. I love that. That would be amazing. Well, Mindy, it has been such a pleasure getting to know you for my podcast. And I'm just so in awe of who you are and everything that you've done and accomplished. And you're impressive. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. I don't know about you, but I am I'm thrilled by your potential. Thank you. I am excited to see what happens next in my life because you just never know. And I'm I'm just excited for the journey. it's been a heck of a journey so far and lots of good things to come I think so many thank you so much thank you
If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description. There you'll find links on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support the podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted. I can say that. I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed their interview, please feel free to let them know. You can also tune in to my other podcast, Growth from Darkness, which is co-hosted by a lovely lady from Australia. We talk about what trauma responses are and healthy ways to move beyond the past. For more information, just go to growthfromdarkness.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash growth from darkness. Thank you.